You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. John 9. Uh, Jesus heals a man born blind. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is this day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Salem. This means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, it only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I do not know, he said. They brought the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now on the day which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees asked him how he'd received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say that was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can now see, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged Jesus was the Messiah would be cast out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had born, been born blind. Give glory to God and tell the truth, they asked. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was born blind, but now see. They asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why? Do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples too? They then hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we do not even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the man of a mind born blind. 
If this man were not from God, he could not do anything. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had him thrown him out. And when they found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have seen him, and in fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who will see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you can claim you can see, your guilt remains. Uh, well, hi, everyone. Um, I'm Sam. And if you haven't met me, please do come and say hello after the service. Uh, I'm excited today to be uh, looking with you at John 9. Uh, let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, I thank you for giving us your words in the Bible. Help me to speak and explain them clearly and faithfully. And give us all ears to hear, minds to understand and hearts to trust you and follow in your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, we've been going through John's Gospel this year, and one thing that we've noticed in John's Gospel is that it's unique because it doesn't contain parables. Uh, instead, John's carefully recorded events to show readers that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Having said that, John 9 is quite like a lived-out parable with a core lesson to learn. Now, consider the, the words of the first verse of the most recent song we sung. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I once was blind, but now I see. In this story, it's literally true, uh, but it's also the perfect picture and celebration of the spiritual experience of becoming a Christian. Something just sort of clicks and you suddenly understand who you are, who Jesus is and what the gospel of grace is all about. And you kind of have no idea how you didn't see it before. It almost seems kind of obvious now. You really do feel like you've gone from spiritual blindness to spiritual sight. As we delve into this passage, uh, we'll see the real story of a man who became a Christian through the physical healing of blindness, of his blindness. Uh, and this acts as this great metaphor of being healed of spiritual blindness. As we get into the detail, we'll discover that spiritual sight will let you see that Jesus is Lord and worthy of worship. So that's our big idea for today, that spiritual sight will let you see that Jesus is Lord and worthy of worship. Now, to put it into context, in the last few chapters of John, uh, we've seen events like the healing of the lame man, where Jesus said he does the works, uh, he does works on the Sabbath because his father works on the Sabbath. We've read of the feeding of the 5,000, after which Jesus said that he's like manna, the bread of eternal life come down from heaven. And Jesus also described himself as living water and the light of the world. And all of this es uh, resulted in escalating anger from the Jewish leaders as it became more and more apparent that Jesus was claiming himself not, to, not just to be a teacher, uh, but that he is in very nature God. This progression climaxed at the end of John 8, which Ken brought us last week, 
uh, when Jesus proclaims, before Abraham was, I am, which was a very clear and confronting statement that Jesus is eternal God. In sum, the passages beforehand were all about the identity of Jesus. His identity is Lord and Saviour, and in very nature, God. This passage in John 9 is about recognising Jesus' identity, seeing who He is, seeing that He's Lord and Saviour, and reacting in worship. Let's start at the beginning of John 9. As Jesus went along, He saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked Him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, what a curly question to start off. Uh, I wonder what you think of it. Uh, really, I could spend the entire sermon on just this, doing a thorough job looking through the whole Bible to answer it. But uh, today I want to look through the whole passage of John 9, so we're just going to briefly touch on some key points. So first, what prompted the disciples to ask who sinned that this man was born blind? Well, I think the question itself reveals the incorrect Jewish worldview at the time, uh, which was that sin of specific individuals was punished in a specific and individualised way, uh, a sort of divine retribution. Now, I must say, to me, it's completely baffling that this was the Jewish norm at the time, um, because God had provided the entire book of Job to set them straight. Uh, now, later in our passage in verse 34, we see the incorrect Jewish perspective was held by the Pharisees as well as the disciples, where it says, to this the Pharisees replied, you were steeped in sin at birth, how dare you lecture us? So, it seems like holding the view that this man's blindness was a direct result of specific sins allowed the Jews to view the man as steeped in sin at birth and therefore perhaps deserving of his lot as life as a beggar. And this also seemed to have made it easier for them to dismiss him. Maybe uh, he was less than other people, according to this perspective. So let's call this the blame the individual approach. And I think it really is telling that, that the disciples, in verse 2, saw the man, the blind man, as an object of theological debate, rather than seeing to the concrete physical needs of, of him. Now, before we look at Jesus' response, let's consider some other possible responses to the disciples' question of why the man was born blind. Uh, you've all had some thinking time now, so how would you have responded? Was it one of these? Uh, option one, we could say, God is sovereign over all things. Psalm 139, for instance, tells us that He knitted us together in, his, in our mother's womb. So, ultimately, God made the man blind and we need to accept things. Let's call this the blame God approach. Or uh, we've got option two, of course, perhaps we would point to Romans 5.12, saying that original sin meant that all of humanity is subject to decay and death. So it's not specific sin of the blind man or his parents, but a more general sin of all of humanity. And he is no more deserving than anyone else. Therefore, we should be compassionate. Let's call this the blame all of humanity and human nature approach. Uh, so, I think both options contain truth. Uh, so, which option does Jesus take? In verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Well, perhaps this is a surprise. Uh, whilst he gives a very clear no, to it being a consequence of the individual, individualised specific sins, 
He doesn't explain this man's situation in terms of blame at all. No, instead Jesus affirms God's sovereignty and points to God having a positive purpose for the man's situation. In this case, the positive purpose for the man's situation is so that the works of God might be on display. So let's just think, how is Jesus' answer superior to other possible answers? Uh, Well, here are three reasons. Uh, Reason one, he treats the man as an individual person, not just as a source of debate. He does answer the disciples' question, but he also addresses the man's physical immediate needs as well. Uh, Reason two, um, Jesus' response focuses on the positive contribution of the blind man. Uh, Whilst compassion is a good thing, thinking only in this way might lead us to view certain people as only unfortunate souls. However, Jesus reframes the situation in terms of positive worth. Every individual has something to offer and a place uh, to be. Uh, This is especially true, I think, in the body of Christ. And reason three, Jesus' response reorientates us to think about what God's purpose might be, rather than being us-centred. He might have any number of purposes in difficult situations. However, like Job, we may never in our lifetime know what they are. Ultimately, we need to trust that God is a good God, uh, that he works all things for our good. So whatever his purpose is, we need to trust that it's a good purpose, even if the lived experience is really tough. All right, well, back to the blind man and God's purpose for him in particular. His story puts the works of God on display. Specifically, this healing acts as an example of the power of God to heal and restore. Uh, The example made possible because Jesus clearly represents God the Father while he is here bodily on earth, as he says in verses 4 and 5. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, we all have limitations and not all of them are physical. And this miracle gives us a concrete example that God is powerful to heal and that restoration is on offer to all. Probably not in this lifetime, but when Jesus comes. We're invited to look forward to a future of healing and at the same time to accept ourselves and those around us as we are and to consider that God may be working something in you right now for his purpose. Could be a grand and showy purpose like it was for this blind man or perhaps more likely it might be a more subtle purpose as it was for Job. The purpose of being a faithful example of trusting Jesus through difficult and possibly lifelong circumstances and growing a sense of anticipation for the restoration to come. Now, importantly, we notice that it was Jesus who decides to give this man his sight. And it's Jesus who has the ability to enact the works of God. As we read on, there are more clues that this miracle is confirmation of what Jesus said in chapter 8, before Abraham, I am, that he is in very nature God. Look with me at the actual miracle, starting at verse 6. After saying this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. 
So Jesus uses his own spirit to confirm that the power is coming from him uh, to show that he is indeed able to do the works of God. Moreover, we see in verse 7 that Jesus doesn't even need to be physically present to enact this power. After the blind man gains his sight, there are five distinct conversations that occur. Uh, The first of these is between the blind man and his neighbours. Look with me at verse 8. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Now, I think of this first conversation as the confirmation of the miracle conversation. The neighbours are sceptical. Presumably, they thought that something like this couldn't happen. But Jesus specifically chose this blind man, who would have been extremely well recognised in his community. Even these days, communities tend to have a few characters that everyone seems to know. Um, I grew up in the country and we had someone who was like this, uh, who used to work collecting trolleys at the local supermarket. Inexplicably, everyone in the community knew who this guy was. Now, these days, we do most of our weekly shopping at Fairfield. And along the Fairfield Strip, there's also a few well-known characters. And I'm pretty sure everyone in the community knows who these people are. They're always there, always in the same spot. Right? And, uh, and it would have been the same for this blind man. He would have had certain spots right in the thick of things that he would beg at. He would have been recognised and known by all, no matter the age, status or social group. Now imagine you show up for work tomorrow, uh, tomorrow morning, and you're introduced to the new guy. He's in a new shiny suit, he's got white teeth, a tasteful spritz of cologne, and it's your new boss. But wait a minute, it's the character, the well-known character from down your street that you see every week. And you don't quite believe it, but you kind of have to when they go, hey, it's me. So the neighbours are sceptical, but they can't deny the evidence of what has happened. Their reaction is very sensible. They ask, where's the guy who did this? But the blind man doesn't know. I mean, how could he? If you think about it, he was busy off washing in the pool and so he would not actually know what Jesus looked like. He might only know the sound of his voice. So the neighbours do the most sensible thing. They take the evidence of the miracle, the man who's been healed of blindness, to their leaders, the Pharisees. So let's read on from verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about it? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. So some of the Pharisees, like Nicodemus, who we heard about in chapter 3, think that the power and goodness of these signs Jesus was doing show that he must be from God. However, in verse 14, we learn that the healing took place on a Sabbath day, and Jewish law prevents people from working on the Sabbath. Now, Jesus himself described this healing as doing the work of God. And then he does something that's indisputably work. He makes mud. So as such, Jesus was giving the Pharisees absolutely no wiggle room. 
they had to make a choice between trusting in Jesus and what he said about his identity for the past, um, you know, couple of chapters of discussion, or they had to continue putting their hope in their traditionalism, as Trav described for us a fortnight ago. As we read on, we see that the Pharisees are indeed stuck in their ways. They could only see Jesus as breaching tradition, despite the incredible work of God before their eyes. They sought to discredit the events of the miracle, so they brought the man's parents for questioning in the third conversation. In this conversation, the man's parents confirmed that the man really was their son and that he really was born blind. But they kind of dodged the question of how, since they were scared of what would happen if they pointed to Jesus being the Messiah, the consequence of being put out of the synagogue, which in those days would have made you either a bit of an outcast in your own town or forced you out of town altogether. I think a modern equivalent might be something like being kicked out of uni, fired from your job, booted out of your sports club and having your kids asked to leave the school they go to all at the same time. It's a pretty significant consequence, so when push came to shove, they prioritised their worldly standing in the community over standing up for the truth. In terms of the flow of the story, this interaction provides a strong contrast between the parents' response to Jesus' miracle to that of the blind man. Look with me at the fourth conversation, starting at verse 24. A second time, the Pharisees summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Now, the man who was blind doesn't engage in debate in the theoretical at this stage. Instead, he gives a more powerful type of evidence, his own personal experience. He once was blind, but now he can see. Verse 26, then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, but you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to be his disciples too? The blind man understands the miracle is not just about himself. It's about what it shows about the doer of the miracle, that Jesus is from God. It also seems as though it takes this moment of being under pressure and having his budding faith tested that he discovers that he is indeed a disciple of Christ. This conversation ends with the man being thrown out of the synagogue. He paid the price that his parents were afraid of. And he kind of did so with gusto. Uh, hypothetically, if I ever get fired from a job uh, for being a Christian, I kind of ho- hope to go out like this blind man does. Uh, you know, not backing down from the truth, pointing to the evidence, inviting your persecutors to follow Christ too, um, accepting the consequences being totally worth it. The man healed from blindness saw being thrown out as inconsequential in comparison to being in with Jesus. Now, the fifth and final conversation occurs between the blind man and Jesus. Uh, Interestingly, once again, Jesus instigates it. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown the man healed from blindness out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I might believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. 
Did you notice the progression of how the man who was blind referred to Jesus? Initially, in verse 11, in the first conversation, he referred to Jesus as the man Jesus. Then, in the second conversation with the Jewish leaders in verse 17, he says Jesus is a prophet. And now, finally, in the fifth conversation, he recognises Jesus as Lord. The healed man saw Jesus first as man, then as prophet, and finally as Lord. In parallel to his physical healing, the man moves from spiritual blindness to spiritual sight as he gets closer and closer to recognising Jesus' identity. So this progression from spiritual blindness to spiritual sight occurs in stages. And I think this is a recurring theme in the Bible. If we think to the other healing of a different blind man in Mark 8... Uh, This also occurs in stages. Uh, You might remember that um, kind of memorable image of the man saying that he sees people walking around like trees. So using stages of healing like this, I think, represents a progression of how clearly one comes to see Jesus' identity and mission. And I think we can also experience seeing in stages. For myself, growing up uh, with Christian parents, I think I always understood that there was a God and that he was good, Um, but it seemed a little bit distant for me. And I think uh, thanks to um, to, uh, the ministry of people at Beach Mission and uh, youth group leaders, uh, it wasn't until later high school that my eyes were opened a little bit more to truly understand what Christian community was all about and to see that God was a personal God uh, who cared for me and sent Jesus to die on the cross and rise to new life to open a way for us to follow him into eternal life. And then I think later at uni, I heard some really, uh, really good teaching from the Bible. And I think again, my eyes were opened a little wider. Uh, Then I really came to understand my own total depravity and the weight, the humbling weight of grace, uh, the joy and peace of security in Christ. The feeling of being able to kind of let go and trust in Jesus. Uh, And in many ways, I'm still on a trajectory of having my eyes opened wider and wider day by day. Now, I wonder if this is the same for you. Or are you somewhere in the middle of this story? Do you view Jesus as a man uh, or a wise teacher or a prophet, a miracle worker? Could I encourage you today to see Jesus for who he really is, Lord, Uh, Lord over your life, Lord over the world, and the one who can do God's work of healing and restoration. Now, as a small aside, uh, seeing Jesus' identity in stages, I think, isn't always the case. For some, it's more like the Apostle Paul, uh, a single experience of encounter with with Jesus, like a piercing light and something like scales falling from your eyes. Um, But nevertheless, my experience, I think, of growing in maturity in Christ uh, has certainly had quite a number of I once was blind, but now I see moments. In addition to the blind man seeing Jesus' identity in stages, uh, this passage also shows us a progression in how the blind man responds to Jesus. Uh, First, he only states the facts of his experience to his neighbours. Next, he stands up for Jesus in front of the Pharisees. And finally, he responds to Jesus as Lord by worshipping him. Sometimes, I think we can fall into the trap of thinking that standing up for Jesus in a world that can often seem 
hostile to Christianity, is the pinnacle of the Christian, the most impressive, the most sought-after theme. And we can have our Christian apologist or famous preacher heroes. However, this is not the ultimate reaction to recognising Jesus as Lord and Saviour. No, this passage shows us that worship is. Telling God you believe in him, recognising him for his wonder, creativity, mercy, goodness. Thanking him for sending Christ for us, depending on him. Worship through prayer, song, walking humbly with him all the days of your life. Worship. It's interesting, I think, to compare this healing uh, with the healing of the lame man in John 5. Uh, We looked at that, I think, earlier this year. Both healings occur at pools. Uh, Both were long-term disabilities, lameness, blindness. And both occurred on the Sabbath, allowing Jesus to assert his identity as Lord and God, which also brought trouble from the Pharisees. The big difference is the contrast between the reactions of the two healed men. The man who was lame, the last we heard of him, was when Jesus told him to sin no more unless worse were to happen to you. This warning indicated that the healed healed man was glad to be able to walk, but that the physical healing didn't correspond to a spiritual healing of a changed heart. And I think we want to instead be like the blind man, whose primary reaction is not about enjoying the healed body, but about worshipping the healer. John 9 concludes uh, in final verses from 39 to 41. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and that those who see will become blind. Now, I love verses like these final verses because Jesus basically explains what everything meant. He removes all doubt in our minds that this was indeed a lived-out parable. Real events that also teach a deep spiritual truth. The man born blind sees the reality of Jesus' identity as Lord and Saviour more and more clearly, and the Pharisees go in the opposite direction, becoming more and more blind to who Jesus is. Yet it isn't left at just that. In verse 40, it says, Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What are we blind to? They're trying to kind of claim a get-out-of-jail-free card, like it doesn't matter if they're wrong. But in verse 41, Jesus answered, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So Jesus' answer is clearly something like, nice try. But the way he says it is quite nuanced. He says, but now you claim we see, your guilt remains. It's as though the fact that they think they're on the right path means that they're responsible for the choice of what to believe and how to act. It's like their personal responsibility is affirmed when they think of themselves as seeing. If you think you're on the right track, you think you can see, then you're essentially held responsible for being right or wrong. And the catch here is that basically everyone thinks they're on the right track. They think they're onto the right thing. People think of themselves as generally okay, being a good person, believing in the right causes, trusting that our lives or that who we are is somehow good enough. However, John 9 shows us that this sort of thinking is a bit like the Pharisees. 
Their spiritual blindness means that they were wrong about their own identity as well as being wrong about who Jesus is. So why did Jesus come? Well, there's actually two sides of the same coin pointed out here. He came to save by bringing sight to the blind. But as a consequence of being saviour, he also must be judge. He makes blind those who think they can see, those who already think they have the truth. Maybe they're busy living their truth and are unable to recognise Jesus for who he is. We need to heed this warning of judgment by acknowledging that apart from Jesus, we're not okay. We're regularly blind to our own sins and pride and we do need spiritual sight. Yet praise be to God that while we are still sinners, he loves us and sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. So those who see him and believe in him may not be condemned. Through the healing of the blind man in John 9, we've seen that spiritual sight will let you see that Jesus is Lord and worthy of worship. So how should we respond? Well, First, we should humbly open ourselves to hearing the truth about Jesus and ask God to give us spiritual sight. Second, if we already see Jesus as Lord, we should bring him, we should bring him praise and worship, since he is in very nature God and has given us sight and he is our hope of salvation. Third, we should look forward with anticipation to the day of universal healing and restoration knowing that God, through Jesus, has the power to heal and restore. And fourth, in the meantime, we should be thankful for God for making us, knowing us and loving us for who we are, or even despite who we are, and for us to view each other as vital members of the body of Christ. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for giving us this lived-out parable of the healing of the blind man, to show us that you offer us sight too. The, phys- the spiritual sight to see that your son, Jesus, is Lord. Help us to respond in joy and in worship. Amen.